Welcome among Dearolists! So, I got with me two microphones, two XLR cables, batteries which are recharged this morning. We are at Granary Square, there are two geese next to us, they don't <laughs> seem too aggressive today. We're along the, cha the, the canal, the Regent's Canal, but I forgot my recorder, so I'm recording this with my phone. Uh, but I'm sitting here. I don't. I have the most important thing, which is a guest. Could you introduce yourself? Um, sure. Hi, I'm Chloe. Um, I also sometimes go by Roll Flip Draw when I'm making games, um, or Roll Flip Stream if I'm streaming things. Um, but yes, I. I don't know how much about myself to say. Well, as I was, we were sort of discussing before. Mm. Uh, I always tend not to know much about my guests before I interview them and. I, I hope it keeps things fresh at my expense, maybe. <laughs> but so so let, let's find out together. Okay. As a icebreaker, I always have the same traditional question, which is, how would you explain what is a tabletop roping game to someone who would have absolutely zero clue of what it is? Oh, God. Um, I mean, I've had to do this a lot. Uh, sometimes to just friends and sometimes to, like, theater audiences when I've run shows that are basically people playing tabletop games for an audience my best way of doing it is to just show them like kind of just find a way to get them to play a game or watch a game or something so it's a hard thing to describe I normally would say basically you've just got maybe some you're playing someone who isn't yourself normally you're playing another character there might be someone who's playing the rest of the world and often there'll be something that adds an element of chance like dice cards something like that and together you tell a story and it's about you telling a story together of some form and then it starts to kind of break down because you start going oh yeah but there are gmless games and oh yeah but there are solo games and oh there are ones where you play community you're not playing a person oh, we could use um, a jenga tower instead of dice exactly, oh, we exactly. could play diceless <laughs> Arr, stop it it's so it's so hard and that's why often I'll kind of go to people, like, watch this clip, or come with me to this show, um, or play this game with me. Um, I think, like, I, I once uh, was playing a, a freeform game. I've not played many kind of really freeform games, and it was someone that I'd met at a theatre networking event where I'd basically you'd get to stand up at the start of the day and say if there's something you want to talk about with people or something. And I just went, I want to talk to people about tabletop games. Please just find me and talk to me about them. And one person sat me down and was like, oh, well, I run a freeform game. And just then and there, just through chatting, we were like, oh, okay, so my character is Natasha and she's coming from the port and she makes jewelry. Oh, okay, I reckon her jewelry maybe has like a little bit of a magical thing. It helps you like preserve memories. Okay, well, yeah, she would probably do this kind of thing. And oh, but is she very rich? Is she poor? And, and we, we chatted for just like five minutes. She was like, great, okay, I'll... I've got those notes, you're now part of the canon of the world. And that was such a really lovely, just immediate five minute introduction to, to freeform games. So that was your introduction to role-playing games in general, or just oh, freeform? That was just freeform. Um, it was my first experience of freeform, of freeform. Where, where it's, it's you know, you are, you're really just talking and that's the only thing that kind of determines what happens. But yeah, that's why I kind of go, I feel like the best thing is just somehow showing people. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's one, you know, you're the second person I remember who sort of went this way. The, the other one, 
sort of went straight and told me, okay, who are you? Okay, where are you? Okay, this happens. And pretty much running one from the go and, say, yeah. and then saying, okay, that's it. <laughs> yeah, like I, I once, like one of the most joyful games I ever played was with maybe a, a six-year-old at like a family event who had got really into a set of minis that I brought and like really loved these minis and we were trying to introduce kids and families and stuff to tabletop. So we did the most basic game where basically they just rolled a d20 and I said if they'd done well or not and it was could could they rescue the Iron Golem I think it was was the one they really liked probably because it was the biggest. Um, could they rescue the Iron Golem from this? And it was just us for like five minutes a few dice rolls and three minis of them and the evil scientist and the iron golem that boy's name was Matthew Mercer <laughs> absolutely <laughs> time travel <laughs> who knows who knows so that was freeform but what was your first introduction to, to the hobby then in general um kind of technically I would say um I I saw Dungeons and Dragons on Community, the, the first like community episode where they're all playing D and D around the table, and then I kind of explored Harmon Town and Harmon Quest, and basically I, I then went something I really want to do is run a marathon game that lasts for an entire month. Oh wow! <laughs> for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in August of the next year. And I got in touch with some people, I kind of asked around, and then Paul Foxcroft, who does Questing Time, um, which is a like a really lovely stream, and I think he also does Dragony Aunt, which is just like advice, and is like very experienced dungeon master, told me kind of everything I really needed to know as an as an introduction and said if you want to do the show you need to start playing. And so I only really started playing to understand the game so I could stage a show around it. Wow, that's that's a um, really tall order from the start. <laughs> yeah, and so I, I started running, like, I... It started, it started with Dungeons & Dragons. I started with Lost Minds of Fandelva, and a friend of mine from university was a dungeon master, and I gathered some friends together. And that, that campaign is still going. Like, five years later, we're still playing in that campaign. And then I realised, oh, I actually... I just enjoy this as a thing to do <laughs> beyond the show that I want to make. I just kept playing and then got into other games and much more into like indie games and then started making my own games and all of that kind of stuff. But it's so impressive. It's a bit like, I would say, you know this thing karaoke where people say, I'd like to do that. Oh yeah, yeah, but could I do that in front of an audience in a tent at Glastonbury? Yeah. <laughs> From the start? It was, it was a lot. Because um, it was basically, we ran a game that ran for 10 hours a day for 25 days had three rotating dungeon masters had people who were at the Edinburgh Fringes performers who knew D&D who were playing you could also like buy tickets to play or buy tickets to watch so we had about a couple of hundred players in this like one campaign um, over the course of a month and it was it was a lot work wise logistics wise etc but it was it was awesome and it was also a lot of fun and it was a really cool thing to do I'm, I'm never doing something <laughs> like that again but I'm delighted that I did it once that's inspiring me a question because looking at the sort of games that you, you design uh, I mean you don't seem to be doing modules for 5th edition so mm. would you do a different games or things differently now uh, in hindsight do you wish you had done things that differently um, I think I'm glad like 
it's that tricky thing of I think it was a good thing to do Dungeons and Dragons you don't want fridge. to travel back in time and butterfly a fridge <laughs> the thing in a mess <laughs> yeah, oh no it is one of those weird things if you're like oh, but if I change one thing then I change all the things and so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with like how I've ended up here I'm trying to think if there's anything that I would do like I'm, I met my current primary partner doing that show with us role playing so if I change that show I change the place that I live right now I change who I live with which would be a lot to be honest the main thing that I kind of just wish is that I'd gotten to game sooner like when I was younger I did a lot of theatre I would do those murder mystery packs that you could like buy and you'd have like a dinner with your friends and you'd all dress up and you'd guess who the murderer was and I was doing stuff like that and then I, I did theatre when I left uni and I was doing a lot of like immersive interactive stuff where there's like a lot of parallels with you know LARP and with role play but I didn't like have the knowledge I didn't have the awareness of the community I just didn't know precisely what existed and I just wish that I'd stumbled across it all sooner basically I think is the one one thing that would have been nice if I could like go back in time talk to myself when I'm 13 and just be like by the way you'll really like this stuff just get started now I know you come back to the present and everything is in print oh no ever be enough outside of it all how long's it gonna take to be there and to stay at that but at what point you made a 
well, not the transition, yeah. but the, the move from being a player to be a designer as well? Um, I'm trying to think. So I was always into home brewing. I always enjoyed that aspect of like, but I, I would the first campaign that I homebrewed. I was like, okay, I'm going to do Dungeons and Dragons because it's a system I'm familiar with, but I'm going to reskin it so it's sci-fi, oh. and <laughs> I'm going to make three planets and oh. all these locations, all these times, and I'm going to build a hundred years of backstory, and there's going to be time travel as part of the campaign. I did all the things that people always go like. If you're doing your first homebrew campaign, don't do any of these things. Um, because I, I love that well, too much. Before that, there was, if you're doing, the, the advice people also say is that, well, if you do your first campaign in D&D, you should not do it on a stage at the French festival. Oh yeah, that, that thankfully wasn't me. I was doing backstage support and I was playing. It, I ran a show as a DM a couple of years later which was streamed on D&D's official Twitch. So that was actually probably also like, you shouldn't do your first thing streamed <laughs> on the official channel. But yeah, I, I'm trying to think of when I first properly started. Because I think the first game that I, I fully put effort into making was just for a game jam on Itch. I can't remember who like directed me towards Itch or, or kind of put it on my radar. But there was a, a game jam and I think I was just a little bit bored and I was a bit curious. And I'm, I'm the kind of person who will always end up making my hobbies into my job. Because, you know, like being really into theatre and then I make theatre my job and X, Y, Z. So I think it was kind of inevitable. But yeah, I definitely started being a bit curious a few years ago. And I'd, I'd also worked on like a lot of live shows that were game based, whether it's like narrative games of people running through the streets or puzzle games and escape rooms and that kind of thing. But then it definitely, I mean, lockdown last year was kind of where it felt like it really shifted so that actually the majority of my work was happening in game design with less work happening in performance just because performance disappeared overnight um, or a certain type of it disappeared overnight. Yeah, so I think it's just like a few a few different things. I can't pinpoint like a kind of... When people ask questions like that, I always wish I could pinpoint some like eureka moment that makes total sense. And it it's, doesn't work but, like yeah. that. I mean, that, that, that's a question I ask, but... Yeah, it's like like with the show, people ask you where it started, what was the inspiration? It's like, well, it's like three or four things which came together, yeah. and this was this both critical mass and, and not really Eureka moment, but it just, just happened <laughs> because of yeah. a combination of things. So, so for you, with the pandemic, it was either like a lot of live performer going to TikTok or <laughs> becoming a game designer. Yeah, and I don't understand TikTok, so that was just like not not an option. I like TikTok. I did a panel about TikTok and Dungeons and Dragons slash the world of role-playing games. I'm ri- like I'm I'm so curious about it. My partner who I live with like will explain TikTok to me and show me his favorite ones and stuff. And I love duets and I'm really excited about like the gameplay and storytelling possibility of duets, but I just I'm just not sufficiently invested to like keep up with everything. It's I guess you need to accept that. I mean, you know, it's like the river. You never swim twice in the same river. It's, yeah. it's like that. Like, I've been quite a lot into it at the beginning of the, the pandemic, myself doing quite a few and looking, watching a lot of them. And then uh, I switched off completely. And I came back a tiny bit lately mm-hmm. and it felt like the scene changed completely. Yeah. From bad jokes. I mean, it's influenced <laughs> also because you really curate your feed so that's yeah. it. so I really recommend to people to curate their feed thoroughly 
even more than Twitter, what you see on your wall is certainly not what another person yeah. sees. Maybe what other adjacent people are seeing, but 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 no, this this indie a lot of indie game supporters, they are champions, cool. and there's even TTRPG discourse there, which which was surprising. Well, not surprising, but. It was nice and uh, almost disappointing at the same time. Like, oh no, oh no, there's, there's more politics and discourse now on, Twitter, on TikTok. It yeah. used to be sort of innocent or carefree, but mm-hmm. yeah. So that, that was the, the TikTok thing. <laughs> um, so did you start it with your solo RPGs? You got a, a big anthology called Otherworld. Yeah, that was a little way down the line after I'd already signed like a few bits and pieces but basically it was very did world building trilogy well I think oh yeah world building trilogy was one of the first ones which was um, I was doing a show I'd been asked to be a guest director on a theatre show that was kind of loosely based on microscope so the idea was that you had two actors on stage but they kind of got things from the audience in terms of like where are we is this like a dark phase a light phase those kind of things um and they would put, they would create the timeline on the back wall, and then they would play out little scenes. And it was, it was kind of a show about um, history repeating itself and and how we tell stories. And I was asked to be a guest director on that for a, a week of development. And one of the things that I did, because the actors had never engaged with tabletop before, they'd never engaged with any kind of role role playing style games. I I like to over prepare a lot. So I drew up like 30 ideas of games we could all play together that were about world building. And then I narrowed that down to my favorite, like six, which were the ones we played together. And then three of those ended up being ones that I kind of finessed because I quite liked and made the world building trilogy. So that, yeah, came from like a a weirdly theatrical place. So I remember the first day of that, we just basically played a load of games that I'd made and then played 10 Candles as just like another example of something that obviously has like a lot of theatricality to it. Um, but as a way of introducing the performers to where the the writer, the creator of this thing was coming from with the microscope inspiration. Um, so yeah, that was that was like quite an early one. Um, and then things like Otherworld, that came from, there's quite a few games that I've made that are very much like, oh, I really like this piece of media. I like this TV show. I like this film. I want to make a thing that feels like it. So Otherworld was slightly a Twilight Zone inspired thing but also like a challenge to myself because I'd only made a couple of solo games before then and I think one of them was Bear which is a game that's designed to not have like any you don't need anything to play it because you're using like your pulse and how your body feels or your surroundings and the colour of the sky and like the prompts that you get for this story and I found that really interesting and so I went okay I want to want to make six really distinct solo games so there's one that's, you know, very dice-based. There's one that's deck-based. There's another one that's very using, like, just feedback from your body. And, yeah, quite a few of the things that I make are just, like, either either challenges to myself, like bets with myself, or I really like this TV show. I would like to be able to play it rather than just watch it kind of thing. Two things I really like with the creative process, both referentiality... I don't know if it's a word, but and also... <laughs> sort of yes challenging yourself setting yourself a, a, a collection of constraints yeah and, and then it shapes something in ways which I really dislike the idea of the uh, you got complete freedom and you got a blank page I'm like oh, oh I don't like that the first thing I will do is okay I'm, let's say I'm gonna do this yeah okay I got one page it's gonna be on one page 
that's a nice first yeah. challenge to have and uh, and so on because that really inspired things I feel you would not come up with without oh yeah absolutely like I also find blank pages terrifying I think that's why like I've, I've done a few game jams and it's just really nice to have that first bit of inspiration whether it's this needs to fit on a yeah. card or this needs to be inspired by one of these tweets or something like that just having a starting point makes everything so much easier <laughs> I guess that's why in improv you got prompts whatever yeah. they are it's if you had no prompts you'd like be just do <laughs> yeah exactly like there, there was I've done like a tiny bit of improv training partially because like when I started out in theatre like one of the first shows I did quite a lot of the cast were part of like Showstoppers and School of Night and 50 Hour Improvathon and all that kind of group and one of the things that was really interesting that I heard in one of the workshops that I did was someone going lots of people think improv is about creating something out of nothing you're just noticing what's already there all you're actually doing is what might look to an audience like there's nothing there you've actually noticed that the other person is standing in a certain way or that you know they're acting like they're they seem to be a bit cold or they've done this or they've done this and and just reading in so much detail and that kind of stuck with me as that thing of like yeah if you have if you find the thing to start with you're not trying to just like make something out of nothing Like you're watching TV Turn up the volume, I've got more to say I think if we could start conversing we'd be chatting all day And in the evening we could choose To roll our spliff, cook some dinner and kick off our shoes Step in tonight, we could live out delight Come together in a frenzy when the feelings are right And in the morning I bet there would be time For toast and other spliff, a cup of Roy tea We got the music and we got the time We got rhythm, we got music, we got Cape Town sunshine You're not the only Only Climb the roof, watch the stars intertwine our fates Under another sun, I would be the one But what do you know, look at the time, seems I've got to run Cause there are things that I can't control See, I'm a man with a plan that just doesn't involve you I get rest as a thought in my mind I'm no monogamous man, I am a creature of a different kind I'm on a trip, I must submit I got my eyes on a price that makes love look Time is...
you take a chance with me Don't change the channel like you're watching TV I was wondering as you were telling about theater and those performances built out of microscope and mm -hmm. other games. So, but two questions really. Well, I guess games offer even more than prompts because they got sort of a structure, so yeah. they, they have a framework for you to build upon. Is it something which is happening within a group you are part of and the, the people you know, or is it something which is sort of happening in the, the theater and entertainment world to, to be more aware of those games which are there and can nurture or shape or support creativity in some ways? Um, with, with a lot of people that I know or work with, like there are groups of people that are like very much aware of that, engage with that. Like um, There's a, a show that I'm in at the moment, which is kind of hovers between like mega game, LARP and theater show. But, like One of the other cast members in that is a tabletop designer and another cast member um, the only reason I got cast in the show is because he's played loads of D&D &D with me and knew that I could do the kind of performance that he needs for this show and there's a lot of people where like I know a lot of tabletop groups happening uh, like across London especially that are full of just theatre people who work in immersive or work in interactive performance um, I think there's kind of different levels of awareness some people it's very much like obviously the big dogs like DD, uh sometimes calls cthulhu plays in the dark like specific kind of names and then there's other pockets who are much more uh like very small indie titles and such like but there's definitely a lot of people who understand how that works and i see a lot of people who are doing like immersive performance in Like immersive and interactive, I say those words, they mean really different things to different people. They're a nightmare to define, just like kind of tabletop game. So I'm using them in a kind of gen very generic way. So indie, immersive and interactive, so you got all the words in I, which are impossible to uh, yeah. define. Precisely, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of people that I'm aware of where, but I, I mean, It might that might also just be confirmation bias. Like, yeah. they're my friends, or they're people that I work with, or people I know. Of course, they have some awareness of tabletop games because if there's someone I know who doesn't, it's a matter of time before they do. Yeah, they're locked in a room with you. <laughs> You're <laughs> yeah, gonna bring precisely. it up at some point. But I know you have you ever heard of? I mean, you mentioned Dan Harmon and Critical Role is fam famous. Uh, they, yeah. they, they are a group of performers. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure it's right to say before being tabletop RPG fans. Uh, probably not, but. There's a scene in California, I guess. I guess in one one shot network, also in Chicago, I believe comes from circles of. Uh, I guess you've got like Second City and stuff in Chicago, and you've got like really strong improv performance networks there. But yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense. It makes I sense. mean, yeah. the, the one thing to say is also like, I know some people who are great actors who are not good role players, um, and I know loads of incredible role players who you know, aren't professional actors, obviously, because, like, not everyone is. And they are, they're, they're distinct skill sets. Yeah. They're, they're very distinct things, and sometimes, like, occasionally I've come across people assuming, like, if someone's a good actor, they, they're probably a good role player. But it's, it's a different, it's a different thing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, even... I keep complaining in the tabletop RPG discourse <laughs> that often the discourse is 
it's expressed in a monolithic way. Everybody speaking like tabletop RPG mm. is one thing. Oh, gotcha. And, and I'm like, I come from a more, for lack of better term, trad background. And now I come to enjoy more story games. But at the same time, I'm looking for something specific when I do so. Yeah. And for instance, Poet by the Apocalypse or something like Microscope doesn't give it to me at all. And I aware of that but it's frustrating when people are like oh yeah but PBT is the way oh no the game master is god and they, they yell at each other and I'm like oh, you, 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 you're yeah. doing different things so yeah, exactly. so you're doing improv or you're learning a text by a author and yeah. you get really deep in the character in the moment and if someone suddenly would interrupt you in your scene of Shakespeare and say what, <laughs> what does Hamlet think right now <laughs> or here's the banana or the Hamlet react and you'd be like what get away from me you, you, you're ruining my uh, my flow I really don't want to make a game where a mechanic is just you go here's a banana, <laughs> well, here's a banana. it's just a weird interjection in the scene um we are yeah. to fruits in general <laughs> but yeah that, ma- that makes sense I'm like I mean I'm talking about oh actors roleplay etc because Whilst I started out with D&D, I started out with people who were performers and like we've always treated it as a storytelling game. So sometimes we've very much like mashed it into something that it's not necessarily designed always to do. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't understand the need to pin things down so aggressively. I mean, you can theorize as to why people like to do that, but it's, it's, the thing you're trying to do is have fun, <laughs> whether you're on your own or you're in a group. And different people have different forms of fun. And as long as your form of fun isn't like damaging or harming to everyone to, or to anyone, and as long as like everyone who is present is having fun, what is wh- why is X Y Z better than this? Well, I, I think you know I'm not entirely against this course uh, uh-huh. at the same time because. I find that once you acknowledge that there are different things you cater to, different style yeah. of interest, different cultures of play, then you can look into, okay, once you're aware of that and you start thinking about your own taste or you start trying to be aware of the, the taste of players yeah. or, or the game masters and so on, you try to understand, okay, if I want this type of things out of a game, these are the ways yeah. that I I can achieve that better. But it's not applying methods of improv to a performance of of Hamlet to, to stay with, with very mm-hmm. you you but you like okay when you when you do a pre-made text that's the way you can how do you call that um, call that in Italian in, in French when we were reading learning the text by reading it around uh, tables and this sort of thing I mean, depending uh, on what you want to perform you prepare in a different yeah, way and exactly. as an audience or performer you know ah, I really dig <laughs> this to do this yeah. thing or go see this thing but not the other yeah that doesn't mean you go yell at <laughs> you've got an improv actor who show up at the globe to yell at the actors <laughs> like sure this is terrible yeah yeah it's 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 kind of like for me it's it's as if someone went no only this writer in theatre is good or only this well, show is good this theatre some people good. do that I know, I know and I don't I don't understand why so it's like okay sure maybe maybe you really enjoy their particular style of storytelling or the things they tell stories about or, or something else about them but that doesn't 
I mean, that's that's not me opening up a gateway saying that like everything is equally good. You you then just have to go. What is this thing trying to do? Yeah, is it yeah. trying to achieve? What experience is it? Is it trying to create? Does it do that, or does it get in its own way? Um, but yeah, it's just it's. I find it a very bizarre thing. But I guess also I'm quite lucky in that half the time I'll just be like, oh, I would quite like to have this experience. Fine, I'll make a game that gives me that experience and just make make it exist because I want it to. He throws a fan. I said he's got five moves and he needs a kick. I said he's got a virus and he's an alien. He's uptight. I said he's bound up. Yeah, he's uptight. exist so at some point you you watch Wonder Vision for instance oh God, yeah. and then you're like <laughs> I want this. a game to play that yeah so question as a very beginner game designer myself did you play it or did you just design it I play test quite a lot like for example I have done so far one play test because scheduling was a nightmare of the, the, the draft version of a Wonder Vision inspired game There was a lot of writing first, but that was very particular to that game, I think, because the idea being you, each session is in a different reality. Therefore, you need kind of a lot in terms of like world building or information about six different optional realities to then use across the game. But like some games that I've made, like there's, there's one game called Time Heist, which is about time travel. I mainly kind of wrote that through playing it with people because it started off having completely different mechanics and I was like I just don't know if this is going to work or it's going to feel satisfying so thankfully I have a lot of lovely friends who if I go can I just give you snacks and we'll play we'll try to play a game for a couple of hours who knows and they, they're aware that like 
I may change the mechanics halfway through because they're just not working. That one it was much more because it's, I think because that one is mechanically a lot more involved. It felt Which one was that? Time heist. Time heist. So, so in that one, like, you're doing a heist to steal a time machine, but you're also doing it with the help of your future selves who've already stolen the time machine in the future. Cool. So there's, 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 I had to make sure, like, I knew how time travel works and I could explain it right. And um, I had mechanics about time travel, which can get confusing kind of quickly. Um, so, for instance, that game, because there's a lot more mechanically going on, that like that was playtested a lot and kind of, kind of written as it was playtested. But stuff say like the Wonder Vision one, because a lot of it is actually more story based and less mechanically detailed. So it's more framing. Yeah, it's kind of it's giving the right framing to it. I've been translating stuff. one page RPG recently, and I was not surprised, but it was a nice discovery to find out about games which barely don't have any mechanics but they frame the prompts and the situations I translate yeah. orbital like that uh, which okay, is, which is just like? it's uh, I think there's several games called that uh, so it might be confusing uh, <laughs> what's the name of the author I don't remember right. uh, but there would be a link in the description of the episode but the, the premise is that it's two player games one is a cosmonaut of some kind will be on a satellite for a set amount of time the other one is uh, is operator is contact or her contact their contact on the surface of the earth and so they and it's their sole contact uh, and and then it's all prompts yeah so, okay so you had an argument the two of you what happened yeah or you need to something wrong happened what happened but there's no dice roll there's mm. no randomizer there's just this succession of prompts and more recently I translated a, a Spanish game called Shakespeare in Rome and it's just okay you do things this way and you're gonna express yourself only through dialogues so you don't say okay my character arrives here climbs the hill and stands Venice in front of me and say oh no behold Yago as I climb this hill no I can see fair Venice in front of me nice and it's a bunch of things like that again there's no mechanics but there are a set of rules that you, yeah. you follow but it frames so much mm. the game experience still. Yeah, I like. I only really found stuff like that. I think. I mean, I'm trying to desperately like go through my brain to make sure that I'm not just forgetting things. But I think my first experience of stuff like that was Chamber Locks, because when lockdown started, the smoke ran this project called Lock Sparring that connected like people who wanted to learn more about LARPs and design LARPs with people who had a lot of experience. So for people who are not aware, the smoke, I haven't been there yet, but it's this really famous, very great reputation <laughs> LARP event uh, in London. Yeah, and I basically got matched up and it's one of the first things um, that my lovely like uh, mentor sent me were a load of scripts, LARP scripts, and I'd never looked at a chamber lot before I didn't really know what they what they were like um, and it was just going oh you spent potentially an hour and a half like just asking these questions or you know someone goes okay you're a family like the five of you line up in order 
order of cares most about the family staying together to cares least about the family staying together to like just establish some of the dynamics between you and then here is you know the three stages of play the three parts of the story and go I mean that's a very loose one there are there are other chamber locks that have a lot more kind of structure and business involved it's very good sounds like something more structured than an improv session but less structured than a lot of tabletop role-playing games yeah I think what, what kind of really got me was the the fact that so many of the scripts that I've read it, it is like an hour an hour and a half to everyone just establishing not like the rules of the world but just the, establishing a shared understanding of the content and the background and the history of it is really interesting to me especially because from like an immersive interactive theatre perspective often audiences are just kind of brought in told like this is what's happening and then just run with it and obviously they're like very different things in, in other ways but seeing such care taken in these scripts over slowly kind of inducting everyone and involving them and making it their own was was really interesting and that was yeah some of the first stuff I saw that felt like it just was not kind of determined by cards or by dice or by coin tosses but very much like more more freer as it were it's interesting to think of you know the, the practice of writing scripts like that mm. because again it's it's in a very blurry region I mean it's it's yeah. its own thing but it's in a blurry region between writing a play which people will learn by heart mm. and uh, and again improvising something you it's it's not very structured but at the same time it's all leading questions I guess it's a, like it totally depends on the the individual writer um, but yes yeah, some, some of it, it's it's that weird thing of you're basically making a structure for other people to do stuff within but part of that is them also defining some of them some of the structure themselves yeah and so to me it just kind of I find it incredibly impressive because you have to make it something that will work even when other people put their own content or their own structures into it and you're not there to go like oh no wait that will mess that thing up or that will break that thing it's a fine balancing act because you need I guess a strong structure it needs to be strong and flexible and at the same time leave space yeah. to be inhabited it so. has to be like all those things <laughs> I'm still even more a, a baby when it comes to to LARP and knowing about different LARP there's so much I, I did a, a bit of LARP it was in no way LARPs like that were LARPs which are uh, they're, they're not quite either what you see I don't, I don't know movie, yeah. de movie depiction are, are not yeah. accurate but it seems to be quite different from what seems to be the, the big LARPs in, in the US for instance uh, yeah. but it was sort of yeah kind of an in between like that in, in France and again it can change a lot my, my issue with LARPs well, not an issue but the challenge with LARPs when I was doing them I was doing them with friends so I would follow along and, and like the LARPs they, they, they took me to yeah. and as soon as they stopped doing it because they had children I wanted to go on I didn't have the, the group yeah. to do it anymore but also I didn't know I was not aware of who were the different organizations setting up LARPs so I would read the description and read some review online go to a LARP and then find out ah no they're really into this type yeah. of thing 
why what I like is this other time. I prefer yeah. diplomacy and intrigue. Those are to hit each other with swords, and those others are for something very scripted. Yeah. And we're supposed to have a battle tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. Yeah, it's 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 one of those. It's kind of like doing that with love is something that you also end up having to do with tabletop, and it's just like an ongoing thing of learning what there is and how it's all different because like if you start playing certain kinds of LARPs and you just never hear about other kinds of LARPs you might just be like oh, this is just like what a LARP is yes. a LARP has to involve X, Y and Z because I've never come across anything that's different and I have no means of finding anything that says that's different so that's just a core like inalienable part of LARP but equally with like tabletop games it's like there are still times when I'm playing a game or thinking about games now and I go oh shit that's not something that has to be true of a game that's something that I'm just treating as something that has to be true of a game because I played these games for so many years and they were in my introductions to tabletop games actually it's just that's just a thing they use that I ended up treating as like the standard because you know, you normalize the things that you encounter first because that's just your your normal center to relate everything else to. I think as a designer, it's interesting also. I don't know if you have a lot of experience of people playing your games, but they're telling you about mm. their, their experience playing your games without you involved because when you design something, there's a lot of assumptions and biases you, you don't even realize. You write something and you expect that this or that thing are explicit or doesn't need to be told and then someone yeah. takes it and they just didn't get it because you didn't explain it or it's it's very difficult to explain that culture again of, of playing this thing. Now, yeah. Recently I was, I realized for instance I kept hearing about safety tools and I really had to join the gauntlet and play with them to really, I mean I, I understood the concept but yeah. it never really clicked but then you play among people, it's, it's their common practice, and there's a lot of unsaid things which just yeah, work. Yeah, like it takes, and also like it's taken me a long time to like, I now have my own spiel. If, I, if I'm playing with people and I'm playing with, say, pause cards, which is like one of the preferred tools that I use, I now say explicitly, if there is something that is stopping you from engaging with or enjoying the game, then use this or if you think there is something stopping someone else from enjoying with and engaging the game use this and that's I only started using that language I think about a year or so maybe a bit more year and a half into using pause cards and it was specifically because I realized that and, and like some people fed this back to me and they were like oh, thank you that works for us framing it like that makes clear that it's not like the player's problem or the player isn't the problem there it's that there's something else that is stopping you from having fun or feeling safe but it was just that very specific linguistic thing that changed how some people I played with like interactive pause cards or how it like made them feel more empowered to use them and so stuff like that it becomes like and that only comes after like a long time of using them and getting to know them and also seeing like the slightly different ways that people will use them and yeah that stuff takes takes time and you have to kind of learn a lot about the different as, options as, and a, as a player I, I still cannot really use them uh, oh, really? I, they, they were there for for me 
as part of a, a couple of different streams and uh, it's not a judgment of the, the quality but I find them they, they take me out to, to remember to use them I would need to have too much distance I, I see, yeah, with the game so so it wasn't really conscious from me but like what I did with my first game and I will take another ship with my next game it's not doing quite that but there are something doing this kind of thing but within the game it's within yeah. it's in the universe of the game that you got this thing so in Paris Gondo you've got the, the you got the next card it's called the next card and it's there but it, there's a whole script which says what Paris Gondo says that to have a fulfilling experience you need safety practice mm. and you have the X card but you also have the spark joy card so it keeps you into the, yeah. the mindset or the universe that's interesting and uh, yeah the next one game it's got something like that where you do something in character which is gonna inform the player that you want to move on yeah. with something else I'm not saying it's replacing or better or worse. It's just I, it feels more akin to my own yeah. taste and experience. It's it's one of those things where it's like there is no one size fits all, and even within individual groups of players and stuff, people are going to have totally different levels of comfort. That's what that is one of the things that I like about horse cards is that for me. I do find it easier advocating for other people than advocating for myself. Mm -hmm. So I'll typically more readily lift one up to be like, oh, can I just check that you're okay? <laughs> um, I, I, want, I want to just check. Because I, I think that's, that's true for at least like quite a few people. I know that it feels easier going, I want to check in on this person rather than I would like to get everyone to check in on me. But yeah, and it's interesting what you say about having those in-world stuff because that was something that I've used a bit for live shows. Because oh, obviously, yeah. if you're in a theatre in front of audience playing a game, it then becomes a whole different thing to put up a pause card and go not just, I would like to pause the... It can feel quite intimidating to go not just, I'd like to pause the game, but I would like to pause the show. And so in games like that, we've had specific things of like, if you ever, if your character ever says this, or you ever describe your character doing this, which is like an action that they could do, reasonably do any time, then we know that you're not feeling comfortable you've told everyone at the table that you haven't had to explicitly tell everyone in the audience that and we will that's when we will take a break during the show because we like those have always been very relaxed shows that don't have like formal intervals and stuff um, it's safe words but you need to be in the in the know yeah to say oh Constantinople and uh, yeah. there you go yeah and like that was obviously just like one of a few things but it's, it's trying to figure out what works for the individual group the individual context the specific game like it's it's that thing of also reminding people like even when you're playing a solo game like yes you may be the person who is in control of that but make sure you also just don't you know get so absorbed that you end up going down a road that isn't good for you and, and still have safety tools in place even though it's just you there and then you might have different safety tools yeah I feel like I'm now just like rambling just very very free form this episode included whoa oh other space time travel guitar synth bass and drums by Lorenzo's music hand solo by Captain Stew high on style by mob action and of course, Sota of Frango, or theme song by Bondedoro. And you can find all those wonderful tracks for free 
on the freemusicarchive.org linked in the description of this episode. Our logo is designed by Rolling Guns, and you will find also in the description a link to our T Public store where you can buy apparel featuring that logo as well as more art by Rolling Guns. Apparel including face masks, which uh, I need to order a couple actually for myself to go at Dragon Meat, but more about that in a moment. And uh, yeah, go in the description of the episode because you will find also all the games that we mentioned in this conversation with Chloe Mashiter. And um, yeah, this episode starts our seventh season of the Rollist podcast. So yeah, me! Uh, uh, apologies for the lack of episode in, uh, in September last month. Um, I was a bit overwhelmed. A bit with everything, in large part also with starting a new job, which is exciting and much welcome, but it's uh, it's stressful and it's uh, it's demanding uh, to balance with everything else. Uh, everything else, including, uh, I mentioned Dragon Meat, I invested quite a bit of myself into setting up everything needed to order, and I have ordered and received the very first physical copies of Paris Gondo, The Life-Saving Magic of Inventoring, my first foray into game design, which uh, I briefly mentioned in this interview. So if you want one of those physical copies, you can come to Dragon Mead on December 4th, and you can even contact me to pre-order them. I need to work out how I'm going to do that. Some of you already asked me for uh, to send those uh, to them uh, to ship them. I need to look into that, and uh, yeah, I've been a, a bit overwhelmed with everything. So uh, at the moment, my priority is to have all those physical copies ready, and that that include the the books themselves, but also card decks, playheads, including a, a very nice looking X card, a nice looking Spark Joy card as well as well a kind of a mini playmat where you can put your cards when you discard them. But yeah, after Dragon Meat early 2022, I cannot believe we're already in 2022 uh, in a few months, I will look into how and what are the costs of shipping those across the UK first because pandemic plus Brexit makes uh, shipping uh, complicated. So I'm starting with the UK. And I will look then to ship worldwide. Uh, so yeah, more about that in a couple of episodes. And yeah, uh, so tired. So feel free to encourage me with reviews on iTunes or Podchaser, uh, which I will read in those post credits. And if you did leave a review and somehow I missed them or forgot to man- to read them uh, on the show feel free to send me a message and uh, I will correct that as soon as possible. Uh, Support the show via Patreon also. Uh, Thank you again to everyone who is supporting me via Patreon. I I much, much appreciate it. And uh, and purchase the translations of games I've made. So Shakespeare in Love, you can find it on DriveThru and the Rollist Ichio store. And yeah, there's also The Feather and the Butterfly by Thomas Solons, which I translated from French to English. And then there's a bunch of games I translated from English to French. Uh, If you're speaking French, you might be interested in those. All of those are one-page RPGs. That include, by the way, Clue Don't, which is a game which was co-created by Chloe and Grant Howitt. And it uses 
a Cluedo board. So yeah, it's quite exciting. So please do go check those out. And uh, again, you use use the drive-through link on the website of the Rollist. So I, I get a, a little affiliate support from drive-through. Thank you very very much. There's a growing number of um, of you who are using that links and uh, you know um well, you said that small rivers uh, get together and make big rivers uh, we say something like that in french uh, and yeah it's the case your purchase on drive through has been substantial in covering some of the upfront costs of uh, making paris gondola happen so i appreciate that very very much uh, and uh, yeah i'm crossing finger to see many of you at dragon meet I, I hope everything will go as smoothly as possible and that the, the situation here in the uk isn't great in terms of the pandemic so i hope it will improve by then uh, if not that at least it won't uh, become worse so knock on wood All right, so see you next month for the second part of this poorly recorded but very interesting interview with Chloe. And uh, in the meantime, have good games. Nós é tipo bem Jesus, todo mundo a gente ama Ainda mais se for gatinha, rola até levar pra cama A gente topa tudo, sapatão e bigodudo Na hora do piriri, cai em mim outra vestida Vai batuque! Rolê, rolê, rolê Solta o frango e vem com a gente Rolê, rolê Look, we've all been there, right? <sighs> Letting our fear and anger get the best of us, intentionally expanding the borders of the false world we created.